Hello, I'm Matt Gren. I'm head of business at Scalag, and today on my session I have Vladimir. Could you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm uh, Vladimir Pavkin. I'm uh, a Scal engineer at Scala C. Uh, I have like more than five years of experience and uh, a lot of interesting projects behind my back. And also, I love functional programming. Yeah, that's a really good opening because actually today we have um, a very broad topic, which is functional programming in business, right? So, you know, it's kind of exotic, right? It's like, I don't know, bricks and company. <laughs> it doesn't really suit well, but actually it suits. So uh, I, I know that you are having a lot of experience with functional programming, so you had uh, many occasions to see how it can help businesses in building better software. So um, could you tell us as a, as a kind of people who are, you know, more business oriented rather than technical, how functional programming, you know, is helping these, the businesses nowadays? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a very good point. And uh, uh, like several years ago, you could really say it is like exotic and uh, like nobody does it for business, uh, people just doing it for fun. But these days, it's actually, it's actually not true. Like there are a lot of uh, big businesses I know that are doing functional programming at scale and uh, like having success with it. Uh, like the first thing I want to say here is that uh, um, it's uh, important to um, mention that what I'm be what I'm gonna be talking about is like typed strictly typed and statically typed functional programming because uh, there are dynamically typed uh, functional languages and uh, I had some experience with those in my early days and they are like it is it is much harder to get value for business in such languages so it's uh, like things I'm gonna talking about today are about like strictly about uh, well like strictly statically typed functional languages uh, so so yeah just, uh, just one one small pause here uh, you know because still i'm after engineering right so <laughs> i i know a bit what is the difference between strictly typed and dynamically typed but just mm -hmm. in the essence right it's like uh, you can get a lot of um, you can spot a lot of errors during compile time when you yeah. have strictly typed programming right. languages. Right. In dynamic uh, programming, uh, dynamic type programming languages, some of these errors won't gonna occur during compile because the compile is actually during the execution of the, yeah. the, of the system. Right. Yeah, you're right. And, and that's mainly the, the reason why you were, we wanted to make it clear that we are now talking about functional programming benefits. But when, as an engineer, you are using the strictly typed uh, languages. It's, it's just important for other people to understand, but we don't go too deeply into that. But it's important to understand that many of issues in functional programming can be, occur during compile time and, and you can discover them if you use strictly typed uh, languages, right? So, so yeah, yeah. So, so basically, I, like, so we are on pause, like, um, this is not... Uh, yeah, we can continue. We can continue. We don't have to... Yeah, I mean, yeah, so I, I just have like one uh, like have to add that uh, like uh, this is, has to do with uh, like compiler doing a lot of work for you like in catching errors uh, and if you don't have this help 
like uh, all, like most of the benefits of functional programming there, like they go away. So uh, this is like compiler uh, gets a lot of job done for you, like for free. Right. So uh, what are the benefits of functional programming for businesses that I've seen from my experience in like in several companies? So uh, the first thing is that uh, in general, when you're using uh, functional languages, your code is much more concise. It's much easier to read and uh, reason about. Uh, so if you compare, for example, like Haskell or Scala to Java, uh, like your your functional code would be much more dense, and, and uh, you would see you would have much more information, much more meaning in much uh, much less lines of code, and and this is uh, kind of important because uh, with Java. Uh, for example, there's a lot of like boilerplate, like the syntax is very verbose and uh, you would like basically have to read a lot of lines of code to like uh, get, get what, uh, understand what code is doing. Right, and, uh, and about the reasoning, so functional languages, uh, at least uh, something like most of them, uh, allow, and, and functional approaches, they allow for local reasoning. So most of the time when you're reading some piece of code, uh, you don't have to think about some other like global variable or some like static mutable uh, field that can be that can affect how this code is executed. Usually, your functions are pure, and that means that like to understand a piece of code, you just need to read that piece of code, and you don't have to know about anything else. So it it like provides much easier like understanding of uh, what code is doing. Like and and th that in essence, you can like connect it to some business value where you have like new members on board, for example, uh, joining the team and they like, they are much, uh, they have a much easier time just like joining the project and like starting uh, to produce some value. So uh, continuing from here, like there are, uh, there is like these two features lead to uh, having, like lead to your team having much less bugs and, and spend much less time finding those because Again, this uh, like local reasoning, it's uh, uh, it it uh, it just makes your code like easier to uh, like to understand what it does, and like it, there there is no there are no like external things that affect how this code runs. So like taking a like traditional uh, object-oriented programming with a lot of mutable variables, right? Uh, some global state. You can like your, your small piece of code can behave like differently depending on like three or four other places in your project, right? And this is really uh, hard to track, hard to debug. Uh, and uh, uh, if you're doing functional programming, there is no such thing. Like piece of code always does what it's uh, what it what it says, and like nothing else will affect that. So and uh, like to kind of prove that, I don't know. Like uh, I think. For the last like several years, I've hardly ever used a uh, debugger uh, to like to fix my code. Yeah, from now uh, like uh, from time to time, I like had to insert some println statements just to see what's going on. But that is extremely rare, and uh, most of the time, it's either the compiler uh, like checks like finds my error before I even deploy my code, or uh, I just like quickly like it doesn't behave uh, as I want. I just have a quick look. Uh, and see what's wrong because like there is not a lot to consider except for the code itself, right? So yeah, on top of that, there is another feature that is kind of long-term uh, 
advantage, which is uh, composability of functional code. And uh, uh, so like, what that means is that when you develop your components, some services or like, or, like uh, some, some logic, right? It is, if it's done in a functional way, it's usually very composable, which means like if you want to get some functionality by uh, using several blocks together, you get it almost for free. It's really easy to compose things. And uh, with traditional style programs, depending on what approaches you take to like dependency injection and other stuff, it might not be that simple uh, to do. So what this gives you is a uh, long term, you get much shorter time to market because like your new features, if they uh, like piggyback on something you already have, they're m much easier to develop comparing to like uh, traditional approaches, right? And uh, probably the last but not least point, which uh, became really important in the recent like five to 10 years, in the recent decade, uh, is the, and probably this is the biggest reason of why functional programming became so popular recently, is the parallel computation and the concurrent programming, right? So because of the like default, uh, the basic approaches uh, that functional programming takes, like immutability, like uh, not having nulls uh, and uh, like stri strictly typed programming, parallel parallel computation becomes much easier. Uh, like it, it's almost like you almost get it for free again because there is when you have some mutable state, shared mutable state, uh, you probably know about like all these synchronization primitives that you might need to work with that. Functional programming and its use of immutability and effect systems, uh, lazy effect systems, it just makes it much more simple. And uh, yeah, so if you have some kind of like Spark uh, cluster or like some, I don't know, some complex computation workloads, parallel workloads, functional programming is like a much better choice than traditional uh, paradigms. So, so yeah, these, these are the benefits. Uh, maybe you have some questions at this point. Well, it sounds like, you know, uh, a ho holy grail for, for everyone, right? So that you should, you should definitely uh, implement your next system using functional, functional programming language, of course, strict, uh, strongly typed. So, uh, however, that's not really the reality, right? Uh, the reality is a bit different. Most of the systems nowadays are built with object-oriented programming languages and, um, well, of course, I know a bit about why this is the way it is, right? I actually started my career with object-oriented programming in in, uh, in on my during my studies and then in my career. So uh, knowing all of these benefits, right? So that you have, um, in the end of the day, you have less code, less bugs, uh, open uh, code open for parallel computation. Um, so everything what we need for now because uh, today, because it's um, in, in, the, in the current world that the uh, performance of the CPUs are not increasing in the amount of gigahertz, but in amount of cores. So basically that's sweet spot. Uh, but we still see, you know, huge um, popularity of languages that are not really 
supporting or, or are supporting in a very narrow way uh, a functional programming. Um, so it seems like the business still is not um, when they when they put on a on a scale and they try to weight both things, the 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 end result is not in favor of functional programming. And uh, from my observation, the main the main reason is that companies simply have easier access to talent that is on the market. Uh, who knows uh, object-oriented programming languages? So. Uh, so that's one of the things uh, that the business in the end of the day builds system not with the technology in mind but with the team in mind that can deliver the product right, right. so um, so looking from that perspective if I think that's one of the cornerstones and one of the most important ones I I, I will probably touch it a bit more in the, in the next part of the call but um, looking from that perspective, so that you have a team, right? That probably knows a bit object-oriented programming well, are quite, it's quite experienced with object-oriented approach. So what are the, the ways uh, or so patterns or ways how these teams can actually start building next things in, in a functional programming way? You know, yeah, right. I, when I when I was uh, building systems, we have MVC, uh, we had uh, uh, RESTful APIs, all that stuff, and how it's in the uh, nowadays with functional programming. How how these guys who are, you know, object oriented could could at least try to get into the the new world uh, that can help them in the end, right? Yeah, right. Uh, so uh, first of all. Uh, that's true, right? Because, like most of the talent, most of the like workforce uh, in the industry are still like using like uh, traditional approaches, and this is some kind of inertia, I guess, from the times where OOP was the only like holy grail of software development. A lot of people learned that, and it's like it's not easy to change, right? These things are really uh, like not one day shift, like right, but. Uh, the thing is that for the last like decade, functional programming was consist consistently gaining the market share, consistently gaining popularity, uh, and uh, I think this like if it continues this way, functional programming has like a really uh, nice future ahead. So, and and I've seen uh, several teams like either moving entirely into functional programming or partially like just starting trying it out so the two main patterns that I've experienced uh, in my career of uh, like people starting to use functional programming uh, were like the first uh, the first case is when there is like a person uh, in the company with uh, like a technical person with a lot of experience uh, with, with the main knowledge that the government has a lot of trust into Right, the person proved that it, that he can, he or she can deliver product on time. Like basically, uh, it can deliver business value like the business wants. And uh, then the, uh, there is a new project that business wants to start, and they basically put this person in charge, like of like, okay, you can take whatever you want if you want functional programming, whatever. Uh, like we know you can deliver deliver value, just just do it. 
So uh, th this person maybe gets a team, gets to hire like one or two people. Uh, and uh, yeah, this, this uh, like I went through this myself. I wasn't the, uh, the person in charge. I was, I that was early in my days. So I was a person on a team uh, like this. And this works uh, really well. So uh, if that person is really uh, looking to deliver business value and also like a really skillful technical person, uh, then it's it's not a big problem to like learn and deliver at the same time, right? Because this this person probably not have a lot of production experience with functional programming, but because they have a lot of this like trust from the company's government and they have a lot of passion to the to this direction, they can do this. And uh, like I've, uh, I, as I said, I've gone through a couple of such like successful stories of this kind. The second like pattern is. Uh, also what I've observed myself is uh, when a big company has a lot of code already, it's like, uh, uh, again, like the, the first company, like the, in the first case, the company also had a lot of code and they just like decided to make a separate new service with a functional program. Mm -hmm. The second approach is when the whole company decides to pivot. So either technical leadership uh, like decides that functional programming is for some reason cool already and it's like, and it's, it's ready to be used in production, or technical leadership changes, for example. I, I saw, like, uh, I, I worked in a company that decided uh, at one point to shift from old approaches to functional programming. So what that means? It means that most uh, new services are developed using functional programming, and some of the old services are refactored or rewritten using functional programming. Of course, it's, it's nearly impossible to rewrite all the legacy code, right? And uh, there, there has to be people on the team that would support that, like old code. But all of the new beginning, all of the new beginnings, all of the like direction, all of the I don't know development of the company is uh, geared towards functional programming. Yeah, and and that also works uh, quite well. So uh, th that company is still like uh, they are really huge, uh, like talent. Uh, hunters, they like hire a lot of functional developers, and uh, like it works for them. So, so yeah, it's uh, these are like two, the, like the two most common ways. And uh, in both cases, it would really be beneficial if there is some kind of technical person that is experienced in functional programming and that can like help your teams avoid some common pitfalls or some like incorrect directions at first. But as I said, it's possible even without such person. It's just it would be a huge advantage because your team would have to shift your shift their worldview, shift their paradigm, shift how they think about code, and like this is not an easy change to to do. Okay, I get it. So you, I think I think it it's something that I also can confirm with our clients. Um, we join them either in the state when there is a new module to be built with, with Scala or we are a part of, uh, of a huge team that is uh, taking efforts in uh, migrating to Scala. So these are the two things that I see in common with what you said. Um, what I'm, what, when we go into that direction for a moment still, so okay, imagine that we have that team uh, that can go into the Scala um, direction or functional programming direction because Scala is, of course, one of the languages 
that is strongly typed um, in, in a functional programming area. So we focus on Scala because we have Scala in our heart. Uh, but uh, in the end of the day, Scala is not the only language. And of course, when this team starts to implement things, they can use some, uh, some patterns, some design patterns or design approach that probably are even known to the object-oriented programming uh, engineers. Could you just put more light on that? So imagine we have the team, we have, we have a confirmation from the board that they can do a, a new project in a, in a new approach, or even they can rewrite the whole system gradually, of course, having some migration plan in place and, and responsible person who takes in charge, who, who is in charge in conducting this whole migration. And so, so what kind of, you know, advices you have to these teams, like they, they, they should right. kind of patterns or design approach they should take into, into building a new system uh, in, a, in a wise way in functional uh, language. Yeah, right. So if, if the team is like uh, not, does, doesn't have a like functional programming ninja, right? Something, somebody who is like really experienced. So if, if it's uh, like this project, this kind of project is new for the team. So I would advise to go in really small steps. Uh, like, so uh, the good thing about functional programming is like that the most simple, uh, the most like easy to grasp concepts are uh, bring the most value to the table probably. So you can just start with using pure functions, uh, using immutable uh, values and just avoid having nulls and uh, like throwing exceptions. These are like four really simple rules that you can adhere to and uh, you'll get a lot of value. You get, you'll get a lot less bugs. Uh, uh, you'll get local reasoning and so on. So, these are like if if a team doesn't have any experience with functional programming at all, I would start with these. I wouldn't go like full blown like I don't know some cat's effect or zeal like like one hundred percent functional programming uh, stuff like 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 stack. I would just go with these simple concepts in your in the language that you probably use so that you don't have to uh, like learn a whole new new language. You know, it's, it's all a trade off, right? Uh, with your business, like how fast they want the service to be delivered and so on. But like in general, this would be a good approach so that your team has an, like an easier time to like switch the, like how their brain works about the code. So these are, these simple concepts are really good, good way to start. And then on top of that, you can build like more, add more complex stuff later, like, uh, some category theory and monads, like some effect systems with uh, these lazy I/O runtimes and uh, so on. So yeah, that, that that's the approach I would take for a non-experienced team to start. Okay, and if you are experienced team and and you know I don't know CQRS or domain-driven design, all that kind of magical buzzwords. I I actually heard about them and implemented some of them even in object-oriented uh, projects. Uh, so can, can they be applied in functional programming or maybe they are actually better for that? Could you just put light on that when we have a stronger team, you know? That, you know yeah, it's... sure, sure, yeah, that's a, that's a great point, a uh, great question and a great point because uh, you're right, uh, DDD and CQRS and event sourcing, all of these uh, like approaches, all of these uh, technologies are uh, not only 
in a doable and functional programming. Uh, most of the patterns they use in Psy are inherently like functional. They they fit much better to functional languages, to functional paradigm than to OOP. So uh, if you look at DDD, uh, like tactical patterns, a lot of them like are really functional in nature. And like Eric Evans, like how many years it was ago, like 20 years ago when he wrote his, his book, he was already proposing a lot of like immutability in your programs. So uh, these are not new things. And uh, right, so for the for a more experienced team, I would definitely uh, consider these kind of uh, architectures uh, in in their design. It, it, it of course depends on the problem that uh, they're uh, they're planning to solve. But with regards to like functional programming stack, uh, there are a lot of really nice technologies uh, people can choose these days, like uh, like Cat's Effect or like Zio or like Haskell if you want to go like full-blown FP, uh, like Rust is a really good language that emerged recently and has a lot of functional programming features. Uh, like also like this new language Kotlin, like relatively new, it, it also has some features that are let like favor functional programming that like encourage functional approaches, right? So there is a lot of, again, like a lot of different levels you can take it into but there's definitely everything you you might need uh for every for any kind of level that you want to do it so like if you want to have like 100 fp and like uh, there is haskell if you want to be a little bit flexible there is like scala there is rust so yeah you, you definitely have a lot of tools at your uh, at your disposal these days yeah actually this is a really interesting point because um, so, um, you have, of course, let's go from the direction of Java, right? So Java is object oriented. Of course, it, it brings some more and more flavor for, for functional programmers. And then you have Kotlin that as far as my other interviews, uh, interviewers, uh, uh, provide a feedback on, uh, it's, a, a Java without boilerplate. So. It can give you still a lot of value as an object-oriented programmer. It can give you some value as a functional programmer, but if you really want to go into functional programming on JVM, so you are still in Java virtual machine world because everything in your company is built with Java and so on, then probably if you want to benefit with all of these business benefits we mentioned in the beginning, right? So uh, smaller code, uh, less error prone, uh, more scalable and with a bunch of great frameworks to do that, then Scala is the choice. And if you want to switch from JVM to any other system language like Rust, because Rust is actually a, a system language, uh, uh, and you have Haskell, which is uh, also not on virtual machine like Java, but uh, natively uh, compiled like Rust, uh, which makes it more performant from the perspective of uh, footprint on the on the machine, right? Because Java virtual machine usually takes several hundreds of megabytes of operating memory to to work, but you have Graal VM, right? That is uh, right. around the corner that can help you with with uh, reducing the footprint uh, of the of the of the virtual machine quite significantly. So from that perspective depending what is what are the competences of your team 
right? If your right. team is coming from object-oriented world, uh, uh, but it's not having a lot of background in functional programming, there is there are no strong members that are experienced in functional programming, and probably going with the path you mentioned, that you don't have to, to switch to different language. You just keep the object-oriented language, but you avoid certain things, right. uh, as you mentioned earlier, can help you already. And, and can change your mindset and you will write differently the code, but it still resides in the same language. Then right. if you want to go a bit extra mile, if you are Java developer, then you go into Kotlin, but actually it doesn't give you the whole power of functional programming, then you have Scala and that's why we are existing like uh, as a company, that we are, we are helping companies to write functional programmers, uh, in functional systems on Scala because this is the, the best language for JDM uh, systems in functional programming. Uh, but of course, we have Rust, Haskell, and all other languages. Clojure is also on JVM, right? But yes. It's, uh, is, what is the difference between Clojure and Scala? Do you know? Clojure is uh, dynamically typed, as far as I know, and this is like a really big downside. So. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought, but I didn't want to shoot <laughs> because you might know better. Uh, that's what you, when you were opening the whole conversation about it, was like when you are dealing uh, with. Uh, strictly typed uh, language, a lot of things can be, a lot of errors can be found during compile time. And if the functional language is dynamic, it can bring you more problems. And Clojure has this kind of notion and therefore compared to Scala, even from the very basic principles can have this, this disadvantage. That's why- Yeah, right, I would, I would, I would think a lot before taking Clojure. Uh, writing yeah. a new project in Clojure. Of, of course, people are picking it because they they have a strong team who loves Clojure and they right. are experienced, so they don't they are not afraid of you know doing it. Um, but it's it's great that you said how how company can actually transform how business business can transform existing uh, system into functional programming approach not sacrificing everything in one day, right? Because right. It's, not, it's not about killing your business, throwing all your system that you spent millions of dollars uh, on in object-oriented way and say, okay, we are bad, we are doomed, we have to now write everything in functional programming way. Probably that would, that would be the, the, way, the wrong way to go. Uh, right. But if you have someone experience, you can be more aggressive with transformation. If you have less experienced team, you can, in functional programming, then you can go with more modest approach yeah right step by step into step by step. full functional program programming uh, way so but actually we all we all know about that right so people around the globe they all know about functional programming right when i was an engineer and it was 10 years ago uh, I, I i was even you know playing with functional programming so it's not really a new thing and of course, there is a talent pool that is uh, having the object-oriented background. And that's one of the reasons why people still write code in object-oriented way. But there is probably other reason why people are still not, uh, you know, picking functional programming languages at the first step, right? So right. Um, when, I, when I was analyzing this a bit, it seems to me, it, it is a bit dangerous zone that we are entering now, but it seems to me that we have communities, right? We have communities in the engineering world and these right. communities are strong. So um, 
there are strong communities uh, around Java, there are strong communities around Scala, around Haskell, and then they all have the reasons why they keep their community around this language, right? Because they just find a lot of reasons why you should choose Java. Maybe there is better library, maybe there is uh, the same thing you can do in Java that you can do in Scala, so why to switch to Scala, right? So all of these kind of uh, argues can occur, right? Right. Uh, from from your perspective, when you when you, you as a functional programmer, right? Um, do you think that the communities can unite, or you think that they will go in in you know still in that kind of parallel threads and they can't you know join together? What what is yeah. it on that? Yeah, it's it's like hard to predict like any kind of how the relationship between the communities will go uh, in future, this, this is really uh, like hard to say because it, it also depends a lot on like what is mainstream, what like what market share each, like each uh, architecture, each, each uh, paradigm has like, which, uh, which kind of, I don't know, like how popular one, uh, one is over another and, and so on. So about communities, I can say that functional programming has long been uh, like a, an elite club uh, where people know a lot of this complex vocabulary, uh, this category theory. They just like really smart and just it's, it's it would it was really hard to kind of join this club because you would have to learn a lot. You would have to like also sound smart. If, like these people would have to like kind of accept you. Uh, and uh, yeah, so this this attitude still uh, exists in some parts of the community, but uh, due to like recent rise in popularity of functional programming and uh, like because it became more practical and uh, a lot of problems are solved much better with functional programming these days because like uh, earlier functional programming had a lot of problems. Now, now these problems are gone and uh, this is probably another reason why people not uh, using functional, not, like not starting new projects in functional programming because they're scared of the things that like really already changed. So back to my point, uh, a lot of happened recently in the last decade that uh, completely kind of destroys that eliteness of functional programming. Uh, yes, there are still people that are like considered them, themselves like uh, wizards in a high tower that like don't let any, anybody like some simple people uh, around, but uh, yeah, a lot of a lot happened. So functional programming be uh, becomes much more approachable, and uh, uh, people and, and and it's intentional, right? A lot of people want to make it so that people uh, can start to use it without a lot of like theoretical knowledge, without a lot of like, pre-existing skills. And uh, like languages like Rust, for example, Rust is very uh, tries to be very simple, very approachable. They don't, so they have a lot of functional programming kind of idioms, uh, like patterns inside, but they don't use like this complex vocabulary. They and they have a really good documentation, like so that people can get it on board easily. Also, this new Zio uh, library by John DeGos in Scala, which also like explicit intention of this library is to be really simple to avoid all of this uh, jargon, FP jargon, so that people can start doing 
functional programming get all of its benefits without this like uh, uh, without need to join this elite club of like people who know category theory and stuff like that. So uh, I think that this trend will continue. The community are, is going to be to develop throughout uh, like like following years, and uh, I think the functional programming because of this will gain like more and more of the market share of software development market share and uh, yeah who knows maybe in, in five to ten years functional programming will become mainstream because of that because like you can see like not only like new technology uses functional programming there's like existing technology as you said java picks up a lot of functional features and uh, yeah i think this tr this trend is only going to continue so uh, so with regard to the like, traditional communities i don't know they they also have some kind of eliteness to them uh, and uh, so you, 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 you like just to, uh, to experience that, you can just try to convince uh, an experienced uh, like Java senior developer just to like con to consider him to like try functional programming. It would be a very, very hard job. So there is also a witness to that. But yeah, we'll see how the communities will interact together in future. This is a really interesting story uh, to see how it plays out. Like, but from like just to consider functional programming community, I think it will grow. It will develop, it will be more approachable, more inclusive, and uh, it will be just better from day to day. Yeah, I, I, I do think as well the same. I, I checked trends on language, uh, and of course Python is winning everything, but from the, and Java is losing the market share each, each uh, year significantly. Scala is not growing anymore. It was growing for several years, and now it's stagnating a bit, around 1% share of, of all languages. But Rust is is taking taking the the, the hit with that, and it grows quite rapidly. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think uh, at the end of the day, it's not about Java virtual machine or or not. It's just about building the the systems that are, as you mentioned, time to market uh, will win. And uh, of course, uh, there is some Mm, kind of a um, historical background behind why functional programming started the way it started and that's why it is where it is uh, but in the in, in some years from now I, I think because it's really hard to scale CPUs uh, I think that's the main reason it will be really hard to scale uh, you know the gigahertz amounts and then you have to mm -hmm. go to more and more cores, which is easier for companies. Uh, the, the parallel computing will be the main reason why why these old systems will have to switch into functional approach, because doing it in object-oriented way, of course, is possible, but it's really painful. I, I did that, and it was really like a <laughs> you were. I, I felt like a, a, a guy who is a, a conductor on a railway station that is, you know putting two trains in the same railway and then they have to join and that's kind of how you do functional, uh, how you do power computing in object-oriented way. You have to actually make it in, in a really specific way. So, um, mm -hmm. so it, it becomes really problematic in, in the bigger approach when, when you keep doing other things in, in an object way. So I do believe that there, there is a path and of course we are Scala, we are all in, in Scala and, and we we do enjoy other languages. Some of our engineers are also uh, investigating Rust. 
and then some of them are investigating reason ml and all that stuff so so we keep open to to other languages that are good for our engineers so so we listen but in the end of the day i think zio is also a new kid on the block right it's i talked with you a bit about zio and you said that it is it is interesting you you enjoy right writing in it yeah but but it's not there yet for business in your in your kind of insight for a serious business we could say still or yeah uh not entirely i think it depends on like what kind of uh, business you have like what kind of team what kind of uh, like goals you have for your business uh, like at least short-term goals so i think long-term zero is going to be an amazing project and uh, with all that support with john the goals as as the leader with all with all the open source support it gets i think it will be an amazing uh, tool and uh, just it, it's not like it's not one uh, it doesn't have a stable release yet right so it's it's really early to yeah. like, pick it up for like enterprise level uh, software but um, you can already tr uh, write some like simple small services with it so and uh, I know people are doing that Netflix is doing that and some other big companies are like using Zio in production like for some uh, like not super important stuff right because that, that's how you like test a new technology that that's how you make it like uh reliable right that's the, safe, that's the safe approach you mentioned a few minutes yeah. ago right? yeah when right. companies try to introduce new technology they can either do it full-blown like let's rewrite everything and mm -hmm. pray that it works or try to uh, you know do some small module in it then bigger one and bigger and bigger Right. right. So, so I think I think it's 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 already a good time for Zio to be used as like as an experiment as a, like tool for some new internal or like production external but not important project. Uh, it's it's already time. So I wouldn't say that Zio is entirely not for business uh, sure. at this moment. But I would be really really careful like going all in on Zio for all all of the systems in my company. So. Uh, yeah, but overall, I would definitely be like, regardless of uh, whether I'm using it or not in production, I'll be having a close look, and I would I would recommend for anyone interested in functional programming like to have a close eye on how Zio develops because it, like, it has all the values I mentioned. Uh, it 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 strives to be really accessible, inclusive, friendly to all kinds of developers, beginners and like seniors. So. Oh, like all sorts of developers can get a lot of benefit from that because like it's 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 how it's designed. So I think it's it's really uh, it has really bright future. If 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 nothing goes really awfully wrong, it has really great future. Thanks, thank you, thank you, Vladimir, for all of the input. Yeah, the Zio is is one of the open source projects we also support as Scalac. I need to say that because. We, we have to be honest, so we, we believe in it, but of course we also have to be um, honest to the people who might watch this video is that uh, it is uh, it is something we will put a bet on and, and we think will grow and, and will um, will become a nice nice way for engineers to go into functional programming 
without uh, entering the, the 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 you know the wizard club. So that's kind of the the good thing uh, that we would like to do. We would like to make uh, Scala popular, and and making it popular means that people who were not uh, wizards they can join this club without without any huge issues. So that's that's kind of the future. Yeah. And when it comes to functional programming, I also think that it's a matter of time. It's a, it's a matter of time when when people who are now young become senior engineers and then become tech leaders. These young engineers are picking functional programming much more often than the, the older ones because they are trained even in, on universities. Even in Poland, we have uh, faculties, even in, in Gdańsk, where we are based, uh, where there is functional programming uh, taught already. So they are directly going into Scala. There is no object-oriented path even. So it's really crazy. I, 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 yeah, yeah, I'm so jealous that I, I would I would love to have this as my own like university education program. I, I'm, I'm jealous for these people. <laughs> yeah, it, I, when I heard about that, it's, it's it was like, wow, uh, are they crazy or something? You know, it, it sounds really even like for university, it sounds really brave. So yes. so so they picked that path, and and I think it's really good because engineers have to learn that. You have to write code that is um, immutable, it is concise, it is readable, uh, it's, it's working in a multi-thread uh, environment. So you have to write code from the very beginning thinking about that. It's, it's an era of desktop applications that have one thread is <laughs> over. So, so yeah. we, have to, we have to finally teach people about that from the very beginning. And that's, yeah, that's right. Okay, great. Vladimir, thank you very much for the call.